Capella University is rethinking higher education. With their game-changing FlexPath format, you can earn your degree on your schedule, so you can fit education seamlessly into your life. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. In today's economy, more people than ever are looking to buy and sell businesses. But how do you do it? Welcome to The Deal Board, presented by Transworld Business Advisors. Straight talk about real deals and real people. Listen to stories, interviews, and expert advice to help your business sale, merger, or acquisition process. Now, here are your business exit experts, Andy and Jessica. Welcome back, everybody. And today, we have a great show. We're talking about raising money and raising capital. And it's a question we get asked as entrepreneurs and business brokers a lot is, you know, how do I raise money for my business? And Andy, we've got some great interviews on the show today, right? Yeah, we do have some great interviews and really kind of going over the right and the wrong way to raise capital. Uh, And I always say that, you know, raising small amounts of capital is a very dangerous thing. It's really hard to do beyond what we call the, you know, friends, family, and fool kind of round uh, where you're really raising money from your friends and family. And uh, the, the joke is fools, but, you know, people close to you that you're trying to start your business. And there's definitely a right way and a wrong way to do this. Right. And we've got um, actually one of my friends, Rob Carpenter. He's done this a couple times now. Um, His latest company, really cool company called Valiant, um, which is a conversational AI company. We don't get too much into that today, but he walks us through the process of raising capital and what type of investors you're looking at at what stage of your business. And he talks a lot about like, yeah, if you're raising small amounts of capital, friends and family, is the way to go. But if you're looking at angels, I mean, angels start investing at $50,000 each. Um, and then he goes up and talks about VC where they're looking to invest more like half a million and then private equity, who's looking to, you know, invest multi millions of dollars. So totally agree, Andy, it's very hard to raise small amounts of money. Um, but Rob gives a great overview of each of those categories and what they're looking for in terms of investment, what their exit strategy is, and really some of the pros and cons um, and lessons he's learned through raising money and doing all these rounds. Yeah. And my brother, uh, actually it's my brother, Stephen Cagnetta is, uh, owns a company called uh, Company Council. And what they usually do is they sit as uh, corporate counsel on a lot of these startups. And he happens to be located in a hotbed of activity for startups, which is Massachusetts, uh, Boston. And uh, he does a lot of work with uh, Mass General and a lot of medical startups. He's done some technology startups as well. And he talks about, you know, the right way and wrong way. He talks about safes. Uh, what is a safe? How is it implemented? He also talks about uh, convertible debt and 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 it, and so and he talks about why you don't necessarily want to go to GoFundMe to raise capital because if you do it wrong the first way, uh, it really hinders your ability to go for the second round. Right, lots of good lessons learned. Um, you know, I think. It, there's some really great insights today. One, one of the other ones Rob talks about is that, you know, if you're going to go down this raising money route that you need to be prepared to sell your business um, and not at some point in the future, at some point in the near future, most of these investors are looking for a return in the, on their investment in the short term. Um, so we talk a little bit about that and what the exit strategy is and going in with an exit strategy, which obviously is related to our podcast and talking about everything from buying and selling business 
businesses. Um, but we do see more and more companies that have raised money, have investors, and it does affect the deal when you're going to sell your company. It does. And, and it also, please, uh, we don't raise capital for people, right? So we're not investment bankers. It's a whole different ball game out there. There are a lot of things going on uh, with the, with rules and regulations because of the internet, because of raising capital through things like GoFundMe and those kind of sites. So there's a lot of things that are coming down the pike that we didn't even kind of cover today, which we might cover in a, in a future podcast. But there's so many things um, that, uh, you know, access to small business capital is a big is, is a big subject. And, you know, there's a lot of things uh, that people want to do micro loans. And we've talked about some of those in the past, but this is kind of like the traditional small business raising capital. We're not talking about going to an investment banker. Uh, we're talking like really on the small business level. And I think this is very apropos for our, our audience. Yes. Yeah, definitely. So we hope you get some good learning lessons out of it. This will definitely be probably a part two at some point, as Andy said, this is just scratching the surface. Um, if you have questions for us, don't um, don't hesitate to visit our website, tworld.com slash the deal board. You can reach out, ask us a question, suggest another topic or a deeper dive into the one of these topics, but let's jump in. Let's do it. Transworld Business Advisors is the world's largest business brokerage and mergers and acquisitions firm with over 500 brokers in nearly 200 offices worldwide. Transworld's team handles thousands of business sales every year. To be connected with a qualified business broker or learn more about the buying and selling process, visit tworld.com forward slash the deal board or call 888-719-9098. Welcome back, everybody. And today, as you know, we are talking about capital raises or raising money to fund your business. And I have a great entrepreneur here to share his personal experience. He's a good friend of mine. So I'd like to welcome Rob Carpenter to the show. He's the CEO of Valiant AI. Rob, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. Happy to be here. Rob, why don't you just start by, you know, telling the listeners a little bit about you and what your company does, just to give them a background. Yeah, absolutely. So Valiant AI is a company that's working on building digital employees for the fast food industry. So specifically what our product is, is it's a conversational AI. So think Siri or Alexa but instead of being focused on the consumer market, it's focused on the enterprise market. And so what our goal is, is to be able to automate the tasks related to taking fast food orders. And then that frees up the on-site staff to focus on making food, processing payments, things like that. Um, I've raised a couple rounds of funding for Valiant. And then prior to that, uh, I ran a custom software company for about six years acquired a company in India, acquired a company in London. And then I had a real estate business before that. And then I had an advertising business in college. So uh, a bit of a serial entrepreneur at this point. Definitely a serial entrepreneur. And I mean, you've done so many amazing things, but I, I really could talk to you about Valiant all day long, just because I think it's so brilliant. And it, I mean, this conversational AI stuff, honestly, is very intriguing. But we're here to talk about um, fundraising today. So yeah. let's talk about like, why did you decide to go with fundraising um, for Valiant specifically? Like why was capital raised the right move for your business? 
Um, in all honesty, it was the only move for the business. Um, artificial intelligence is still very, very early in its development. And so it's extremely expensive and difficult. There's no templates to follow. There's no instructions. It's literally just kind of make it up and invent it as you go. And that provides a lot of opportunity from building long-term value. Um, but it is really hard to, to have a product out of the gate. So if you think of like a service-based business with my custom software development company, people would come to us and say, hey, I need you to build me a mobile app. Great. Here's how much it's going to cost. They would put a down payment. We would start working. So you could fund your business right out of the gate from your customers. But with artificial intelligence and with this sort of really, really difficult technology, um, it takes years to get to a product you could actually sell to people. So um, this upcoming January will be three years in business for us. We have 18 people, uh, 16 engineers full time working on this product. So customer funding wasn't really an option for us. So we had to have capital um, and we had to have a lot of capital. I mean, millions and millions of dollars uh, to be able to fund all of these operations. And we're now finally turning the corner. I mean, literally as of this week, where we have a product that we can start selling into the market. And so we'll be able to start generating revenue from customers and licensing fees for our AI software. But we had to have that upfront investment to get to this stage. Right. And I think you bring up a great point. You know, there is other options like customer funding is a great option for, for businesses that can do that. But yeah, I mean like some big fast food chain wasn't going to pay you for a potential product down the line. Right. So years down the road. (laughs) Right. So it really was your only option. So, you know, and I think if you're, if you're listening to the show and you're sitting in a business like that, um, where you have to build a product ahead of time, or you're going to have a large capital cost to get your business up and running, then fundraising is the way to go. But um, Rob, why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about, you know, what types of funds you raised and what you know about the fundraising landscape. Um, And, you know, like we talked about, keeping in mind, like our our business owners that are listening to the show probably haven't really been exposed to raising capital before or the actual structures. Yeah, absolutely. So I'd say kind of broadly speaking, there's kind of maybe five. Um, The first is obviously funding it yourself, you know, using your own capital that you've saved, working an extra job, you know, a credit card in in certain situations. Um, So that's kind of the first option. Then the second option is friends and family. Now, I want to really quickly qualify with friends and family. You know, I've built seven companies now, and it was only with Valiant that I ever gave family or friends the opportunity to invest because startups are very risky. And the last thing you want to do is lose people money, and especially people that maybe can't handle losing money. It's one thing if it's an investor and different with friends and family. But if you feel really, really confident, and maybe kind of limit how much each person can invest individually, then friends and family is a second option. Your third option is kind of what's known colloquially as angel investors. Um, These generally tend to be people that have built companies. They might still be running them. They might have sold them. Usually they've had large cash infusions. It could be family wealth. Whatever it is, they look to spend a certain percentage of their portfolio on startups. Because startups are risky, 
a lot of those investments will fail. But if they get one Uber or, you know, Airbnb in their portfolio, you know, then they can build generational wealth off of that one angel investment. So angel investors, which are essentially kind of wealthy individuals, is your third choice. Once you start to move into the more professional realm, then the fourth option is venture capitalists. Now, VCs, as they're also known, are made up of two groups general partners and limited partners. Limited partners are the people that put the money up and then general partners are the ones that spend that money. So if you go to an entrepreneurship event or if you follow any of the famous, you know, VCs out there like Sequoia or Foundry Group here in Colorado, um, the people that you're aware of are the general partners. They're the ones out meeting with entrepreneurs. They're the ones that are analyzing deals and they're the ones that are striking the terms of the investment that they're going to make into the companies. And then the LPs are the people that, and that's their limited partners, are the people that they've gone out and raised money from. And why that distinction is important is that with friends and family or angel investors, there can be more flexibility, longer time horizons, you know, five, 10 plus years. But VCs, eventually the general partners have to give money back to the limited partners. And the time frame on that is in the realm of three to seven years. So once you start getting into these levels, VCs can be a great option for large infusions of cash, but know that at some point they're going to need their money back. And that means they're really either going to try to push you to get big enough where you could go public, or they're eventually going to force you to sell your company. And that's not something a lot of people necessarily want to do. So it's important important to have that knowledge of what the VC wants so you can make that determination if they're the right group for you or not. Um, The fifth and final group is private equity. Uh, These also have a similar structure to VCs, um, but these companies tend to buy more businesses. They will do investments, but generally what they look to do is they look to make, you know, major investments in companies usually acquire them down the road, merge them with a bunch of other companies and try to roll them up into a really big company that they take public. And then they also try to get all their money back so that they can return it back to their investors that invested in their private equity fund. And I've kind of outlined each of these groups in terms of stages and the amount that they might put in. So for example, as an individual kind of step one investing in your business, You know, that could be anywhere from a couple thousand dollars, you know, maybe up to $50,000. And then for friends and family, you know, maybe that's the $20,000 to $100,000 range in terms of the amount of capital that you would look to raise at that round. And then for angel investors, generally, you know, you'll see them write average check sizes between $10,000 and $200,000. And so you can raise from angel investors millions of dollars. Then when you get into the VCs, generally their minimum amount of money they'll invest is 500000 to a million. And you'll see some of the really big VCs, they'll put up as much as 20 or $30 million in later rounds. And then as you continue to grow and scale, the private equity investors they're, you know, usually not going to write a check for less than a million. And, and more often than not, it's like 10 million. And then they can go up into the hundreds of millions of dollars invested. So although those are just broad generalizations, 
it at least helps to somewhat bucket kind of where each of these groups play in the cycle of a business growth. So depending on whether as the listener, you're at the early stage looking to start or you're further down the line and you're thinking about maybe raising capital for your business, these are some good insights. And then just as a last kind of point on this, there will be some criteria that each of these groups will have. And a really easy one for everybody to wrap their head around is annual revenue or annual recurring revenue if you're in software. Generally, at this point, venture capitalists and private equity, more VCs are, are really just looking for software companies with recurring revenue models. And that's why we see such huge exits from companies like Uber and Lyft and Airbnb and Pinterest and Slack and all these other companies because they have recurring revenue model businesses. And that's why they've received so much capital from these VCs. So if you're kind of at the entry stage for a VC, generally they're going to be looking for something in the neighborhood of like $50,000 to $100,000 per month in recurring revenue. And at that stage, you've essentially kind of proved out that the business model is viable. And then you can start to raise millions and millions of dollars from VCs. And then prior to that, kind of you as an individual investor in your own business, or friends and family, or angel investors, generally those investments will happen before there's revenue. So you use those groups to raise capital, to build a product so that you can generate revenue, and then you have to get to those revenue metrics of like fifty to 100000 a month, and then you'll start getting the VCs interested in investing in your business. And then it kind of goes on from there, and private equity gets pretty diverse, so they'll, each, each fund will have its own criteria. Um, but that at least kind of paints the landscape of the key groups involved in funding businesses. Wow. And Rob, that was one of the best and most simplistic ways I've heard um, capital raising and all the different groups explained. So thank you for that. Um, if you're listening to the show, that is definitely something you should take notes on. Obviously, we have our notes in our show notes too, but I really ex- liked how you explain the differences, but also the different motivations that each group has, right? So mm-hmm. if you're not looking for to exit your company at some point in the near future, like three to seven years, you know, VC or private equity is probably not the right fit for you. If you're a younger company, same thing. Um, But if you are building a recurring revenue software model and you want that big Uber exit, you're probably going to be dealing with VCs or private equity down the road. So let's move on a little bit and talk about, um, you know, you've got so much great experience as an entrepreneur. Let's talk a little bit about, you know, what you've learned through this process. You know, what is, what have been the biggest obstacles you've overcome? And also like, what's been one of like the biggest gains, um, that you've gotten from the process, maybe that you didn't expect you were going to get? Yeah. Um, in terms of the biggest obstacles, you know, it's, probably uh, internal um, to each entrepreneur. And it's really just grit. I mean, there's, I don't think any one obstacle, it's just hard. I mean, for our prior round of fundraising, I had 62 conversations in a row where I got rejected. And then the 63rd investor put up half the round and the 64th investor put up the other half of the round. So these processes are not necessarily efficient. Um, They're 
definitely not quick um, and they're definitely not easy. And so, you know, within kind of the more um, experienced entrepreneurial circles, there's really a lot of jaded feelings towards people that are like, oh, you know, I have this great idea. I'm, I'm good to go. And it's like, you know, really the idea is just step one. Um, it's execution, it's tenacity, and it's just literally never giving up um, until you make it work. Um, because there will never not be obstacles. There's kind of the cheesy saying that if it was easy, everybody would do it. Um, and that's absolutely the case. And there are just elements of luck um, where you get connected to the right person or the right group and they believe in you and then they really push and they really help. Um, so the, the, the biggest thing I think is just internal and it's that sort of never quit attitude and you just have to keep on pushing and keep going forward. Uh, <clears throat> kind of along those lines, I think a really important learning, especially when you get beyond the friends and family round. So like when you start at the angel round and definitely with the VC round, a critical thing is finding your lead investor. Um, investors very much have herd mentality. Um, they don't want to be the first one to jump. But once they've seen a bunch of other people jumping, then the rest tend to just start following and you start to see a lot of pile on. Um, and so in my experiences, finding your first investor is always the hardest part of the process. And so you need to have that person that really believes in you and will really go to bat for you. Now, if you come from a background or an environment where you're already plugged into lots and lots of people that exist kind of within this business funding world, then maybe this isn't as critical for you. But I can say, you know, for myself, um, I didn't know anybody. I moved to Colorado in 2010. I didn't know anybody. Um, and so I've had to build everything kind of from scratch and it just takes a really long time. Um, but the process is exponentially easier when you have somebody that truly believes in you will not only make an investment, but then will go to their friends, their acquaintances, their business partners, and really put in the elbow grease to help you raise the extra capital you need. So it's absolutely invaluable um, to find that person. And, you know, the next obvious question then is like, well, great, how do I find that person? And I think that really just comes down to, unfortunately, if you don't have that base in place already of networking, I mean, you just, you have to get out there. You have to meet people. You have to talk to people. You need to be genuine. You need to do what you say you're going to do. You have to be honest. And you really have to build those relationships with people. And those things don't tend to happen quickly. Um, so the sooner you can get started in that, the better. Um, one of the quicker ways I've seen to accelerate the process when you're kind of building these, these relationships from scratch um, is public speaking. And the reason for that is that imagine that you're at a pitch competition or you're at some sort of an entrepreneurship networking event. You do know there are investors there. If there's 100 people in the room and you've got 30 minutes for networking, I mean, what's the best case scenario? You're going to talk to like four or five people and you just hope one of them is A, an investor, B, an investor with capital to spend, and C, an investor with capital to spend that's interested in what you're doing. 
But if you get on stage and that entire room of a hundred people are staring at you and you get to deliver your message to them, then every single time I have done that and gotten off stage, people have come up and talked to me. And the reason for that is they can self-select. And there's going to be maybe three people in that room that aren't investors, that are active, that like what you're doing. And if you're just hoping to randomly meet them in a crowd of 100, your odds aren't very good. But if you can give the entire room your message, then those people will come up and talk to you and say, hey, I'm an investor. I love what you're doing. Let's talk more. Um, And that's gold. And so I've had actually several of my most critical relationships have come from those types of experiences. And so although public speaking can be a little nerve wracking at times, um, it's an incredible way to build your reputation, build your network and start developing those relationships with investors. You're also as a byproduct going to get a lot of feedback and it might not always be feedback you want, but as a entrepreneur, you have to be both, you know, tenacious and believe in yourself, but you also need to be a little flexible um, and take good advice when it's being given to you. And so you can help to actually shape your message, your business model, your product, your value proposition, all of that through feedback from the market as you're getting out there and talking to people about what you're doing. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's so true. And, and I love the, the public speaking, right? Because it's so hard to make connections. And if you can talk to hundreds of people at a time and let them self-select, but I mean, just even going back to your earlier points, Rob, I think it's so true is, you know, you float around in these entrepreneur circles, like me and you are both in um, EO and you hear lots of great ideas and there's thousands, if not millions of great ideas that are created every day, but it really comes down to the execution, the grit, the mentality that you'll take a hundred no's just to get one, one yes. Right. And that's, I think a great lesson, not just about raising capital, but anything in business. Right. I tell my sales team all the time, it's going to take a hundred no's to get to the yes that you want. Um, and it's just really that tenacity that sets people apart from the great idea to the great exit. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, before we let you go, I mean, you've not just founded Valiant, but you have lots of great startup experience as a serial entrepreneur. So if we have, and I know we have some brand new entrepreneurs listening or people thinking about starting a company or buying a company, what would be some words of advice that you would give to them? Even though you've given them tons of advice already, just like, you know, wrapping it up with like one or two key pieces that you think is the key to success when you're looking at starting your own company. If you're truly, as one of my investors say, kind of a green bean and you're just getting started for the very first time, um, I would highly recommend starting a service-based business because you can make money immediately. And a service-based business is what 70% of our economy is, you know, and so that can be, you know, um, software development, could be an accountant, could be a graphic designer, you know, you can make t-shirts, websites could start a landscaping company, a painting business. I mean, you know, just look around yourself, look around and, and see the opportunities that are out there. And the reason I think service-based businesses are so wonderful for first-time entrepreneurs is that you can start making money right away. Generally, your startup costs are very small. So for example, if you got a degree in accounting, then all you need is like Microsoft Excel, a calculator, a pen and a paper, 
and you can start working and, you know, finding clients and doing work for them. And that allows you to do a lot of wonderful things. It allows you to kind of hone your customer service capabilities. It gets you more comfortable at asking people for money, you know, like, hey, this is how much my accounting services cost. You're going to need to pay me for that. It helps you with, you know, budgeting and running a business. It helps you to start to understand some of the financial, you know, um, terms you're going to need to know, like a profit and loss or a balance sheet. It's going to help you manage your cash flow. And it's almost like, in some ways, kind of like a training yield business because the risk tends to be a lot lower, especially if you don't have any like credit card or personal debt, which I would highly advise against because, again, startups are super risky and the vast majority fail. So don't think of this service-based business as like what I'm going to build and run for the rest of my life. Now, if you really get into it and it's scaling and you really love it, awesome, go for it. Um, but for somebody that's, you know, one day wanting to build an Uber style company, consider starting with a service-based business and just running it for a few years. If it's not enough to support you full time, that's okay. Cause that means that's extra income that you're making. It allows you to start running in some of these business investor circles, making connections, networking, and it can give you cash. And if you can save that cash, then it gives you a basis to quit whatever your full-time job is and spend six to 12 months trying to build whatever type of company that you ultimately want to build. And then when you're ready or for anybody that wants to go and start, you know, some big multi-billion IPO type of business, you know, the reality in today's world is that you really need to be looking at starting some type of software company with a recurring revenue business, because those are the most highly valued by investors and ultimately the people that would buy your shares on a public market. Um, and then a second piece of advice that I would give, especially if you're starting the entrepreneurial journey, is get really, really good at saving money. <laughs> because that has a really valuable benefit in that, number one, you have cash where you could go without a salary so that you could actually start and grow your company. Or it gives you money to invest in your business, to buy supplies, you're building a landscaping company, you know, it lets you go buy a lawnmower and a hedge trimmer and shears, and it lets you do your advertising to find customers and labor. But the other great thing it does is it reduces your cost. And so right now, let's just say hypothetically, your household monthly expenses are $5,000. Um, if you can actually cut that down, you can cut your expenses down to like 4000 or 3500 and you've saved up $25,000, well, if you still had $5,000 a month in expenses, that $25,000 would only buy you five months of runway before you'd have to go back and get a job. But if you can get that down to 3,500 or let's say 2,500 for easy math, suddenly your five months of living expenses is now 10 months. And you can build and do way more in 10 months than you can in five months. So as you consider your entrepreneurial journey, I would highly, highly, highly recommend getting good at saving money because it helps you out immensely with getting the business started, giving you long-term runway, and gives you good disciplined skills that you can bring into actually running your business and keeping your business's costs low, which gets you to profitability quicker. 
So those are my two pieces of advice. Great advice. I love, I love the service-based business. You're right. It's, it's service-based businesses are the easiest to start. You know, they have the lowest overhead. I love that. And saving super important. Um, you know, I know in a, a past episode we talked about is a recession coming up or whatnot, but even right. more important now that we're at the top of the market and the top, top of the economic cycle to start thinking about saving no matter where you are in your business cycle. Well, Rob, you gave our listeners so many great tidbits, um, a great understanding of how to raise capital and who the major players are. Thank you so much for coming on the show. We'll drop Rob's um, uh, contact information, his LinkedIn profile, as well as Valiant's website into our show notes if you want to learn more about him or Valiant. I'm very excited to see Valiant come to market and wish you only the best of luck, Rob. Thank you so much. Wonderful. Thank you so much. I really appreciated being here. Hey, Andy, do you know what time it is? It's time for our deal of the week. Deal of the week. Sold. Hey, we're back with deal of the week. And we have Hank Alston from Transworld Business Advisors of Rowan and Cabarrus. Hank, welcome. Uh, This was a nice deal. A gas station C-store, certainly one of the tried and true businesses out there in the world. Uh, people are still making money in that industry, still highly sought after, especially uh, a lot of immigrants uh, Immigrants come over and, and, and buy those kind of businesses, but they're great family business. Why don't you tell us about this one and what the deal was? Well, Andy, uh, first of all, thank you for allowing me to talk about this, uh, this, this deal that, uh, that, that I, I got closed on uh, this past Monday. It was one of those deals where, you know, and I had heard about... You know, sometimes, you know, these, these things take, take a while to come together. But it wasn't until uh, Sunday night at about 8.45 that the whole thing came together. Uh, and that was due to the, the, the lease agreement between the, the buyer and seller, uh, with the seller being the landlord. And um, uh, it wasn't until at, at 8 o'clock on Sunday evening, the buyer was ready to walk. Yeah, so that that just goes to show you, and when you're selling a business, uh, it's a 24-hour job here at Transworld, and we, we are there for you. So, why don't you give us a little background about the business? Uh, how much did it sell for? Uh, how much did it? Um, you know, how much was the SDE? Okay, uh, the business actually sold for two forty-two, two hundred forty-two thousand four hundred forty-three dollars. Uh, that included the business plus the inventory. Right, and so they did an inventory count right at the end. Yes, the buyer and seller uh, agreed to split the cost to have a third-party company come in and and value the inventory. Yeah, so we see that a lot, especially in the convenience store business, mm-hmm. and uh, and and the gas in the ground and was included, and they, no gas yeah. in the ground. Mm-mm. So uh, so they uh, so two hundred forty three uh, two hundred forty two thousand dollars in change, which is a very specific specific number. Uh, what kind of financing? Any financing at all? No sale of financing. Uh, the, the, the buyer had the, uh, the funds to, to go ahead and pay for the business. Wow, that's great. Sounds yeah. like a great deal. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, we see a lot of any particulars in the convenience store kind of space that, you know, you get a lot of action on these things, and there's a lot of people looking into this space. You know, do you have one piece of advice for a buyer who's looking for a good convenience store? I would say uh, the, 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 the piece of advice that I would... Uh, uh, want to, um, uh, to uh, uh, encourage someone to, to um, take heed to it would be to make sure that um, as far as the landlord is involved, 
uh, to, to, to get all those things ironed out early on in the process um, so that that doesn't become a, a stumbling block. Yes, yeah, so uh, sounds it, like that, had, that was a stumbling block at the last minute. It was. But you got through it, and uh, the seller was the, a landlord. So you would think that the seller was motivated to get a deal done and wouldn't be such a stumbling block. But that's why we're here, here at Transworld. Hank, if somebody wanted to sell another convenience store, wanted to sell a business in your area, how best to get in touch with you? The best way to get in contact with me would be to call me. Again, Hank Austin, Transworld Business Advisors of Rowan Cabarrus. My contact number is 704-797-1595. Thanks so much. And uh, go Heels. I'll even uh, do that for you. Thanks. Thanks, Thanks for coming Andy. in. Hey, we're back. And I have a very special guest. He happens to be my brother, but I don't want to color the interview by saying that I just have him here because he's my brother. He is a fantastic M&A attorney, been working in the, he'll tell you a little bit about his company, Company Council, about what he does. And uh, he, we're, you know, we're talking today about raising capital and he has two vehicles that are great for raising capital. But Steve, welcome to the show. Uh, and why don't you tell them a little bit about your background first, and then we'll get into talking about uh, safes and convertible debt. Well, thanks, Andy. Really happy to be here. Uh, to start, I run a company called Company Council. I co-founded it back in 2003. I'm a corporate attorney. I've helped companies from startup to uh, M&A and uh, with IPOs and all the stuff in between. Uh, company Council is a part-time general counsel firm where we try to focus in on all the things that happen in between the time when you start the company and you exit. And so it's things like choosing an entity, raising capital, uh, executing agreements or signing agreements with customers or hiring employees, but that's our focus. Okay. So I, and I know you've taken some companies public. Uh, you've certainly done a lot of M&A transactions and you're there like right in the beginning. A lot of these entrepreneurs, uh, you've done work in the medical space. They're starting their companies. They have these products. They're looking to raise capital for it. And we get that question all the time. And we always tell people, you know, it's really hard to raise money outside of friends, families, and fools, right? The three Fs, they call them, and the friends, family, and fool network. But if you are going to raise money in that network and your contacts and things like that, you know, I always tell people to make sure they have good paperwork and they use a vehicle to do it. So what are the two ways that you see a lot of people doing that? So right now, uh, the, the two most popular ways that people use are convertible debt and safes. Uh, safes are a relatively new type of investment structure, but convertible debt's been around a while. I, I would say uh, convertible debt is historically the way it's done. And the great thing about both of these uh, structures is that they're simple, so they're not that expensive, and they can be done relatively quickly. And so if you're just raising a small amount of money and you want to avoid the issue of valuing the company, at least at this moment, and you want to get this money in from people, but otherwise keep it fair for them down the road, these are two great structures. So why don't you go through an example of what, how somebody would do it, or you know, why don't you talk about like how much money are we talking about usually? Well, the great thing is these work uh, from a, lo a lot of different amounts of money. In fact, I've seen them for as small as twenty-five thousand up to a million, and sometimes even a million five. They're they've been used and they're very popular now because it's really a, a way to get companies going 
uh, to get to the early the, the early test phase and early activities that need to happen to prove out to raise significantly more money. So, if they were going to use convertible debt, what would they do? So, again, convertible debt is is the older of the two structures, and it, and the great thing about it is it's well understood, and it's uh, fairly straightforward. So, what you do is the idea is you're going to raise this money, you're going to put an interest rate on it, usually somewhere between six and eight percent. And the benefit to these individuals is eventually they'll convert into the next round of financing uh, with interest plus with a discount uh, of some sort. And so that gives them the incentive to put money in before the other investors do. And at the same time, it gives you as the founder a little bit of flexibility to raise money quickly without going through the whole process of issuing preferred stock and all the costs and expenses that go along with that. So if somebody were to put in, say, you know, somebody wanted to raise, say, $200,000 on their first round just to get the company off the ground. And they were going to collect, say, $50,000 from four people. What would that look like on the back end on their next round? So it's interesting. So that's a great example because that's pretty common. You usually get three or four people who are investing about that amount of money. Uh, What they would do is they would sign up a note purchase agreement. They'd have a note and they'd raise this money. And when they got to the next round, Say, for instance, they raised $200,000 with a 20% discount. There's sometimes a concept called a cap where it caps the valuation at a certain amount. But to keep it simple here, we'll just say 20% discount. Well, you go out and raise a million dollars at a $5 million valuation. These individuals would get the benefit of a 20% discount off that price. So that would be a $4 million valuation instead of five. So it's a little bit more dilution for the founder. But at the same time, it's a simple process where they can raise money quickly. So their their shares would be worth what at that point? So their shares, the, the individuals who invested money, say it happens in a year time and they have 6% interest, they would get 6%. So their shares would go up about $12,000 for the interest. And then they'd also get a 20% discount. So basically their shares, for a $200,000 investment, they could would convert into a value of about two hundred fifty thousand. Okay, so that's a good that's a good bump for for someone that coming in early. So talk to us about safes. What's the other way that people are raising money these days? So the downside. So the safes came out of a the issues that occur with debt, and the main issues that or the main issue that or two issues that occur with debt is one is it sits on your balance sheet as debt, and that can sometimes be a problem if you're trying to uh, rate, work with banks and maybe get a credit line. The second is you have to pay it back at some point. So you always put an outside date of repayment. And and often the issues that you have building the company cause you to need to extend the amount of time that you that you go before your next round of financing. So the SAFE tries to solve that. So SAFE stands for Simple Agreement for Equity. It was developed by a company called, or uh, incubator called Y Combinator out on the West Coast, which is a really well-known incubator, and they came up with this structure where you essentially do the same thing. You invest money into a company, you get a discount or a cap on the on the next round of financing. And while you're waiting, it doesn't sit on the balance sheet as debt, but it sits on the balance sheet as a form of equity, almost like a warrant where you have a right to purchase and you've already prepaid your purchase price. And so for you as the founder, it would almost work the same where you would have this, this investment that would eventually get a bump of about 20% or something like that on the round of financing. But at the same time, you wouldn't have to worry about paying it back. And uh, you would be able to go out and raise money and the 
and the safe investors would accept those terms. So it's a pretty nice vehicle. And it's only about seven pages long. And it's really not much, it's not negotiated barely at all. So it, your legal fees go down dramatically. So these are two ways that are, people are out there trying to raise capital. And, uh, you know, we get a lot of people coming to us wanting to raise capital for their business. And, you know, if they don't qualify for SBA lending because it's not an operating business or they don't operate, you know, they, they certainly can't go public as a small little company and they certainly have a hard time. You know, they have GoFundMe, maybe they can go do things, but that there's issues with that as well. It's a lot of issues with that. And this puts you in a position where you can get investors, uh, you could raise a significant amount of money. It's a, it's a structure that's well known and it's accepted in the angel community. And more importantly, when you get to your next round of financing, those those investors look at a safe or look at a convertible convertible equity structure and they say, OK, that's normal. I'm OK investing after that. Right. So it sets the company up for success later on. Steve, obviously, uh, we're going to have to talk about the next round of financing, but maybe we'll uh, talk about that at a future date. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. Uh, I really appreciate it. Uh, and uh Obviously, you're the smarter one in the family. (laughs) (laughs) Whoops. Thank you, Andy. It was awesome. Thanks. Hey, Jessica, you know what time it is? Money time? Almost. It's time for Listing of the Week. Hey, we're back with Listing of the Week, and we have our very special partner from Trans World Business Advisors of Raleigh, North Carolina, Steve right on the phone with me, and uh, he's got a really good listing to talk about today. Steve, welcome back. Yeah, thank you. I'm glad to be back on the show, and uh, it's really been neat over the past couple of months to hear a lot of you know a lot of the buyers that are listening to the podcast and how that's really been a resource for buyers and you know even bro- brokers out nationally. And so, uh, really proud of what you guys are doing, and it's an honor to be on the show today. Yeah, thanks. So, tell us about the business. Yeah, so we, we've got a uh, business listing. Uh, we were contacted. We actually had sold. You know how this happens a lot, Andy. We uh, were contacted about a software company. So, you know, we we were fortunate enough to sell a software company up here in Raleigh in about five weeks. And the gentleman was so impressed with Transworld. He said, hey, I've got a friend that I want to connect you with. And he's actually selling a pool business uh, that he has owned for 41 years. And so wow. uh, we went and met with this individual. And it, I mean, this is just like one of those that's just fallen out of heaven. I mean, it's an unbelievable deal. And so uh, because of health reasons, he's really motivated to sell. And so we've got this thing listed uh, for a 1.6 multiple on a SDE on a benefit of 700,000. Wow. And the great thing about this, it also comes with property, so the property uh, is valued uh, probably about six fifty, and we've got uh, he's selling the property for six oh five. Wow! And so that's his re yeah, that's the retail section of uh, you know of the business. So that's revenue stream one, and then revenue stream number two is this guy actually builds high end pools, so he's got contracts for a seven hundred thousand. Uh, dollar pool that he's building for the Y. Uh, they're building a Weston uh, hotel here in Raleigh, and uh, he's putting the pool up on the tenth floor. So this this guy, you know, his team does a lot of high end work, and so you know the the total value, you know, we're selling the business for one point one, and then we're selling the property for six oh five. So we're really excited about this listing. And as you know, Transworld comes across 
some of the most tremendous listings that are out there. So we're really excited about bringing this one to market. Yeah. I mean, you know, obviously his priority as a seller is to sell to a good buyer, uh, not necessarily to have the best price. And so I, I know uh, you've been contacted already by many people. So it's a, it's a great business. And geez, I, I love businesses that have been around for 41 years. I mean, it's hard to mess those up, right? It is. Well, I mean, you know, that, you know, we were, we sent it to the SBA, you know, and of course they're like, are you kidding? I mean, yes, we'll approve it. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Especially with know, the real estate. Oh, and then the real estate's involved. And so, you know, I, I just think part of it too is just, you know, in addition is Raleigh is just such a hot market. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, you, you have people that are moving here. They're, you know, they're industry agnostics. So they're like, I, I really don't care what I'm a businessman. I know how to run a business. You know, I don't care if it's a roofing business or, you know, so, yeah, we're, we're really excited about. And the thing, I mean, the thing that we're excited about, too, is, you know, we are being trusted to list some of the largest and most profitable businesses in Raleigh. Yeah. And so, you know, with that name, Transworld uh, is, you know, really uh, proven itself and you know it's it's wonderful to have the platform that we we've been given wow that sounds good good deals for good people so steve what's the best way to get in touch with you if somebody wants in on this amazing deal yeah so they they can reach me at 919-379-5776 or they can go to our website uh, tworld.com forward slash raleigh and, uh, or, you know, if they just want to do a general search, they can check, you know, do a Google search for Transworld Business Advisors of Raleigh. Yeah, that's a great way to get in touch with you, Steve. Thanks so much for coming on today. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, it's an honor. Thanks. Thanks for tuning into our show today. If you like the podcast, don't forget to subscribe through your favorite podcasting app and leave us a review. If you have questions or suggestions for the show, visit us at tworld slash the deal board or email us at the deal board at tworld.com. Capella University is rethinking higher education. With their game changing FlexPath format, you can earn your degree on your schedule so you can fit education seamlessly into your life. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu.